Well, good evening. We're super excited as a church to... I didn't even... I didn't even say anything, but we're super excited as a church that uh, you're always excited, so that's not an issue. But hey, thanks for gathering with us on Wednesday nights. Uh, you know, one of the things I really enjoy about our church is we do things a little differently, and that's from the leadership all the way down. We're not afraid to do things, and one of the things that we do is on Wednesday night, we break bread together, we read the Word of God together, we worship together, and we do communion every week. And there used to be a joke when the church started in our backyard that we wouldn't do, we'd stop doing communion when we ran out of bread, and so far, the bread's flowing, and we continue to do communion, and it's just always a great uh, way to celebrate communion and to see my brother Kevin get up here and break bread with us was really powerful, so... You know, Wednesday's a different, uh, a different um, approach to the gospel in our church. It's completely different than what we do on Sundays. Sundays is a, a celebration, an opportunity to be encouraged, to grow in your faith, a, a fueling station of sorts for the Holy Spirit to work. On Wednesday nights, not that the Holy Spirit's not working, but there's like this downward approach into your faith. The idea is that we sit at tables and we open up our Bible and we go verse by verse and we are challenged, not necessarily with questions from stage, but we are challenged with people communicating about what's being said. And in that challenge, we then have this downward thrust into our faith. And that's the concept of Wednesday nights. We do verse by verse because it gives us uh, a, an opportunity to, doc, to talk about things that we probably wouldn't talk about if we had the choice. We get through some interesting things. Last week, G, uh, Dustin was up here talking about prayer. and We had a lot of prayer during the service. And today we're going to do uh, a little bit of table talk also to talk about prayer. But here's the thing. Wednesday nights is, is really, there's a lot of core people of our church. They've been here for a long time. They're what we call core people. They're growing. They're hungry. They're thirsty for the Lord. And a lot of us don't even go to the same church on Sundays. Wednesday nights is an opportunity for a core group of people to come and celebrate Jesus. And I love that about this church. We don't care where you go to church. We just care that Jesus is part of your daily life. And, uh, and I love that about you. Tonight, we're going to continue with this prayer journey with Jesus. Now, Jesus is going to pray, and Jesus is a prayerer. He's the, the overcomer of prayers, if that makes sense. He's the, the prayer of overcomer, and he's really the overcomer. And that goes back to John chapter 16. In John chapter 16, it's this beautiful chapter about the work of the Holy Spirit. So if you're wondering about the Holy Spirit and that component of your faith, you dig into John chapter 16, and it kind of helps us understand how he works and what he does and how he moves in our life. And at the end of that, it talks about sadness turning to joy. Anybody been sad before? You know, Kevin was talking about that, some tough moments in his life. And in those moments, it seems like you can't move. But at some moment, you meet Jesus face to face. And that sadness, even though it's heart-wrenching and un unbelievable, and that next breath seems impossible, he fills your lungs. He fills your heart and gives us the will to walk that next step and grow in our faith. So the prayer of a, the prayer of an overcomer, that's what we're talking about. And here's what the final verses in 16 say to launch us into where we're at in our text today. Jesus is, is talking about the Holy Spirit, and at the end he's saying, hey, in me, 
I can take your sadness, I can take the greatest pain, the worst thing that's ever happened to you, and I can make it into the fruit of somebody else's experience to God. I know that he has done it in my life, and I've seen it in all the pastors at this church and a lot of the leaders and, and a lot of people at the church. He takes the worst things and makes them beautiful. And, then we, and, we, and, we, and that's what we believe. So the last verse of 16 to kind of talk about this prayer of the overcomer, it says, Jesus says, do you finally believe? He's challenging us. But the time is coming and indeed is here now when you will be scattered and each of you is going to go in his own way and you're going to leave me alone. And it's very similar. This week we were talking about the death of resurrection on Sunday and it was like all of a sudden at one point when fear and, and, and uh, the, the Savior was being led to his slaughter, the disciples, us, were like cockroaches. We scatter in the time of pain. And that's what Jesus is predicting. He's saying, there's going to be a moment when I'm going to get arrested. And everybody that says they love me is going to run. Because even though we, we flat out say, Jesus, I'll never forsake you, I'll never leave you. When times come, a struggle, we end up leaving out. And he says, yet I am not alone. Even if everybody rejects me, he says in verse 32, I am not alone. God, my Father is with me. And then here's the point of overcomer. But I have told you that all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And now something interesting happens. From that moment on, he's been talking to his disciples. He's washing their feet, and he's showing them how to live. And then he's starting to tell them about the works of the Holy Spirit and what it's going to look like when he leaves earth and how we're going to live and how we're going to survive and how he's going to go, and, and, and he's going to go somewhere, and we're not going to go with him. And at the very end, he says, "List." He says, look it, take heart, I've overcome the world. And instantly, he goes into prayer. Now, Tonight we're going to talk about the greatest prayer ever recorded. Now, a lot of times we think that in, in the Lord's Prayer, and in, in Matthew chapter 5, the Our Father Prayer, the Lord's Prayer, that's actually Jesus showing us how to pray. Here, we're taking a sneak peek as Jesus goes with the Father and the Holy Spirit and, and, and God in, into the holiest of holies. He's in his own personal prayer, and it's being communicated, and we're in that moment. The Father, Son, and Spirit are praying, and in this moment we approach this prayer, like, how do we get to be involved in that prayer? I don't know about you, but I always want to know what Jesus would say in prayer. Because my prayers seem kind of stale and dry sometimes. Very robotic. And here we see Jesus and he prays for a couple of different things. In this chapter, as we look at this prayer chapter, there's three types of prayer. Uh, Jesus is praying for himself and his father's connection. Today we're going to talk about a different form of prayer that he's going to pray for his disciples. And next week, Jeremy will close with the prayer for the future believers. But as we approach tonight, as we worship God, we need to come to Jesus humbly and receive what he has for us. We need to listen to him, communicate to his father, and draw from that like you're desperate and you need to hear something. You need to look at your own prayer life and say, is my prayer life mimicking Jesus' prayer life? And am I united and connected with him? You know, Jesus is going to communicate to the Father in this prayer. In this one chapter, if you just look at chapter 17 and you circle all the times that, that he says Father, 17 times in chapter 17 he says Father in this text. It's pretty amazing to think that uh, he says it over 50 times in uh, chapter 13 to 17. And it, as he's saying that, he is says, I'm your equal, 
as he's talking to the Father. He says, I am your word, and I do the works, and the things that I've done prove that I am equal, and I am one with you, Father. Here's the question that I have. I want to kind of, before we get into the word, I want to ask you this question. This is like, honestly, this was one of the first questions. When I got my little Bible and I was reading it, and I, I had this big circle, and the question was, how come God just, you know, I'm a marketing guy. I, I love to market. I, I used to watch commercials on the Super Bowl, and I'm like, man, one day I'm going to do a Super Bowl Sunday commercial. What a weak dream that was. But uh, <laughs> that was my dream, you know. That was what I was going to do as a marketing guy. And I'm like, if Jesus would have just showed us the Father early on 2,000 years ago, what would church be like today? So I want to ask this question. I want you to spend, I don't want to spend a ton of time because I want to get to a couple more questions. But what would, why didn't the Father show himself? Why didn't Jesus just go and, and, and the Father show up to at least the 12 disciples or, or to 500 when, when Jesus came back? Why didn't he show God to all of us instantly right when he, when he had an opportunity? So let's answer that question. Okay, let's uh, wrap up those conversations and... If you got a great answer, uh, make sure you tell someone outside of your group what your answer is. But here's the thing. There's a lot of smart people in the room, and you guys probably had some pretty witty answers. But here's what I know about God to me is that I can't handle the truth. I couldn't handle what he was going to give me. Because if God told me what he was going to do in my life 15 years ago, I would have jacked it up. I would have tried to push it a little bit faster. I would have tried to do my own works to get to where I wanted to go. And there was a moment in Israel on my birthday I was sharing where in John chapter 16, verse 12, he just says, Jeff, I want to tell you this, but trust me, you can't handle the truth. Really what he wants us to do in our faith is he wants us to open up our heart and, and let that little seed of faith start to gradually grow inside of you. Why is there so many farmer analogies in the Bible? Because the, gradu the, the gradual faith inside of us is to take over our life. One day you say you believe, and in 5, 10, 15, and 20 years, your life is completely different. And someone looks at you and goes, even though your name's Jeff, you look and feel and act completely different than the Jeff you used to be a long time ago. And I get that all the time. I go and see my old high school friends, and I'm like, you're a pastor? Can you show me proof? I had a friend show up a couple weeks ago and was taking pictures on me on stage going, dude, he's really up there. They're really paying him to do this. <laughs> yeah, it was good, you know, and it's now all my friends in high school are laughing. And, uh, but here's the thing. When we know what God is doing and he starts to tell us, we get ahead of ourselves. And really, faith is blind. We need to know that God is good and he's going to be good. Because what happens is life can be going so well and instantly something happens. And our heart is taken, you know, like Kevin was talking about. I remember a couple of months ago when that phone call came in. And you hear that someone has died. Man, your heart drops. It's like, where are you now, God? And you have to learn to pick up the pieces and gradually step through that process. Because we have a God that perseveres. And a couple weeks ago I was preaching on a Sunday about God's persevering love. We have to persevere as God perseveres. So one of the reasons that he doesn't show himself. Because I'm like, if you would have showed yourself to 500 people like God the Father, not Jesus. Man, people would have been rocked. Or what about a million people? We would still be talking about, well, I got a relative that was part of the million that saw God in 2,000 years ago. And we'd be all worshiping them and not God. 
We'd be worshiping someone who was an ancestor that saw God instead of the one true God because, man, we make idols all the time, even when God is present. So, anyways, let's uh, dig into our verse today. If you're able to stand, we're going to read one verse and we're going to pray. We're getting into the Easter section, so prayer should be a big part of your life. I, uh, this is my Easter message. This was given to me by my brother. My brother's really not a believer right now. He's living at my house. And so we were talking about how Easter, and I'm just going to tell you a little bit of what I'm going to say. He said, Easter's like Christian New Year. And I'm like, yeah, it really is. We're to get our act together and start getting re-fired up for the kingdom of God and, and working and telling people. And so as, as we're doing that, Jesus is reminding us prayer is important. So here's what it says. John 17, 9, you can follow along. I'm using the NLT, but it says, My prayer is not for the world, but for those that you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Let's just spend some time in prayer right now. Wednesday night, 7.45, we can be doing a bunch of other stuff. But we can just turn our life over to God right now and pray. Speak, Lord. Use this group, use this time to connect and communicate to you. So, Father, we come before you. We ask you to move powerfully in our, in our text tonight, in our small group. Lord, will you open up our heart and will you prepare us from that communion moment with Kevin all the way to the Passion Wednesday and Friday and Easter Sunday. Will you give us opportunities to invite and talk to others about Jesus right now, Lord. Use our gifts as we grow into Easter and as we move through Easter, Lord. And let your harvest be bountiful because of our gifts. We love you, King Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Go ahead and be seated. So we have this, we have this uh, man named Jesus. He's 100% man and he's 100% God. And a lot of times, you know, like I said, my brother's not really a believer. And he's like, well, if he's God, why is he talking to himself? Is he crazy? And here you have Jesus praying to the Father. And if he's God, why is he praying to himself? Well, Jesus is modeling prayer. And he's human on earth. And he's communicating, showing us this is what it looks like to be human and communicate to the Father. And here he's communicating to the Father. So if Jesus prays on earth in the middle of a struggle and a trial, then we should pray. Right? If Jesus is praying for strength, and last week Dustin had us pray a couple times and to strengthen us and to go through life with the glory of Christ in our life. If we see Jesus pray for himself, then what does that mean? We should mimic that and pray for ourselves as well. A lot of times we're like, Jeff, I don't like to pray for myself. It sounds so selfish. I'm like, really? I pray for myself all the time because I'm a knucklehead and I need to get myself out of struggles that I've got through. So I pray for myself. And uh, so if, we, if Jesus does, then we can and it's okay. If, if he prays for others or disciples, so should we. And that next week we're going to talk about him praying for future believers. If he's praying for future believers, so should we. The Bible says that it's a benefit or a blessing to your prayer walk and to your life that if you pray for another people and if you pray for other people and you pray for kings and leaders, that it will truly be a blessing and it's the will of God. And that's what he wants us to do. So here's what's happened now. Jesus has now kind of left the room of sorts. 
Now, some scholars say that he's in the upper room and they've just finished singing a psalm, not a song, but a psalm. And now he's leaving the upper room. I think we have a picture. I've been to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem they have this thing. It's the real upper room. And you go up into the upper room and you can have communion up there. It's a really powerful moment where you see this is where they were at. And in this upper room, he's walking, and one of two things is happening. Many scholars say he's still in the upper room, and then he starts to pray. And that's why it's written down. Some saying that he's heading to now the garden, because the next steps after 17, he's in the garden of Gethsemane. The garden of Gethsemane is, we have a picture of him. This is the next step. After he's prayed for people, then he goes into the garden and he starts to deal with the big three. The big three, John and James and Peter, go with him and he says, stay and pray. Stay awake and pray for me. So we're in this in-between section. It doesn't really matter if he's in the upper room or if he's walking towards the garden. It's about a half a mile across this, uh, uh, the Kidron Valley into this garden and it's a beautiful walk. The point is that he's in this prayer journey. He's walking away from his disciples. He's heading into betrayal. He's heading into the judgment seat of of Pilate. He's heading to the cross. And he's heading to death. The disciples, once again, he only takes three. And the rest of them are feeling like, where's he going? He was acting really weird, wasn't he? He was saying some strange stuff and body and blood and drinking all this stuff. And where's he going? And the Holy Spirit. Jesus is acting weird and they start to feel afraid, abandoned. Last week we were talking about rejected. They're starting to feel distant and rejected by the way that he was talking. They were frightened, helpless and alone, unable to understand the place that Jesus was taking them. They could not see that the Lord was merely introducing them to a higher, better relationship with him through the cross, through death, through the resurrection, and through the gift of the Spirit. Is that you? Is that me? When I go through a tough moment, when I feel God is distant, I was talking to a a, a pretty strong Christian, and they were talking about this dry area in their life recently. And I was saying, those dry areas are, are moments where God is saying, will you walk with me through the desert so that I can give you a deeper, more intimate relationship with me? We go through those health dry moments. We go through those spiritual dry moments. We go where the word is hard to open up or the worship's just not working or the church is no longer working for us. And those are dry moments. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to take you to a place But sometimes you got to work beyond it to get to where I want to take you. God sometimes leads us to a place of change, and it's frightening. We get to a point where you're like, Lord, you're going to take everything that I have? You're going to take everything that I love and uh, dearly honor and, and, and replace it? Do you realize that when God's doing this, he's saying, I want to take you into a higher level of relationship. It's like going from... Uh, dating to putting that ring on it. It's going from putting the ring on it to engagement and marriage. It's going to 10 or 20 or 50 years of marriage. It's taking it to another level. I don't know about you, but I've been married. I'm coming up on 13 years. And uh, it seems like 130 years, but it's really good. And I was told when I was going through some biblical counseling that every seven years you need to reinvent your marriage. Because as good as marriage is, and I honestly have a great marriage, it's still hard. 
because she's another person and she doesn't think like I do. Right? And Jesus is saying, I know you're different and you're not thinking like Jesus, but I'm trying to take you to a different place and, and build you to become a, a disciple. And I don't, know if I, I don't know if you guys realize this, but change, when God is doing a change in your life, it seems scary and it seems helpless. You sometimes feel alone. And I don't know if you know this, but freedom is not what you think it is. Freedom feels really different. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell us. He's praying for his disciples. As we dig into diet a little deeper, my concern is that all you're going to do is just listen to another sermon. And it's just going to be another different night. Wednesday night, the worship was pretty good. The communion was great. The message, Jeff was really funny. It was great. The problem is, is it's just not another night. Every time we break, the, break and open the word of God. Every time we open it up, there should be something special that kind of triggers into your heart. I was always told this, and my wife was saying this recently uh, when we were at another church about four months ago. She says, the worst message I've been to in the country, I've learned something. Right? The best message, I've got to learn to live it out, right? But you can learn on any, any Sunday, on any Wednesday, on anything that you hear if you're open to the will of God. And that's what my concern is, that we are open to what Jesus is trying to do. He's praying for his disciples. That could be you if you're a disciple. Next week he's praying for future believers. That's definitely us. But here he's praying for his disciples for the glory of God to be their victory. Like that song Jeremy was singing. Instead of victimhood. We, we tend to be victims today. Even Christians that have victory. And Christ is praying for us as disciples that we will have victory. Tonight's prayer, if we're reading this text, it should be like a punch in the jaw. It should, it should kind of set you back when you're looking at it. It should be like this moment where you're drowning and the third time the lifeguard or someone pulls you into the boat. And you're like, thank God. That's what this prayer should feel like. These words should sober us. They should comfort us, comfort us because they're not soft, beautiful words in this grand cathedral. You know, when I grew up, I grew up right down the street from the, uh, the uh, what's the cathedral, the glass building? What is it? Crystal Cathedral. Yeah, I grew up right there. Obviously, I never went. So, uh, but Jesus isn't in this grand cathedral praying these very eloquent pastor words. He's actually in this crazy place where he's, he's praying these earthy, gutty, uttered words on the battlefield. And the Lord is coming to grips with reality that... Death is near. My disciples are going to run and reject me. And the only thing that I have is you, and the, you, Father. And we should have that same realization as we dig into this. That we're on the battlefield right now. And that we need to have that same communication. So today we're talking about prayer. My question is, and I don't really want an answer. This is a rhetorical question. Is How's your prayer life? Is it, is it robust and powerful? I have this woman that comes to church on every Sunday, and she always gives me really good words from God. And, you know, she's like, your prayer life needs a little kick in the butt on Sunday. That's what she said. And I'm like, oh, you're right. It was good. She kind of challenged me. So how's your prayer life? How's your communication? And on Sunday I was talking about, you know, 
my prayer life needs to change, and sometimes I got to go deeper, and I got to cry and, and be real and honest and really get angry or sad or, or uncomfortable with God. And when I do that, he challenges, challenges me and changes me, and it comes from that prayer life. Verse 11 says, now I'm departing from the world. He's, he's praying, they are staying in this world, but I am coming to you, Holy Father. You have given me your name. Now protect them by your name so that they will be united just as we are. During this time, I protected them by the power of the name that you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one headed for destruction, as the scriptures foretold. Here Jesus is praying in this text, and if you read it, and if you really read it, and you were looking and kind of doing what we call an inductive Bible study, you kind of search, and what's the action verb, and what's it saying, and how's it working, and when you read it, it says this, this is what I pulled, that my prayer unites me with God. That's what it said. If you just boil down those few sentences, my prayer unites me with God. If Jesus is united with God when he prayers, my prayers are united me with the Father. And in that, I'm acting like and reacting like Jesus did. So, so when I pray, I'm connected through the Holy Spirit to Jesus. And Jesus' sole purpose on earth was to share the Father's heart and to be the word of life and, and the essence of what we are to live as we go through life and struggle. So let us be in prayer so that all of us can be united. You know, one of the things that I love about being on staff at Journey is this. All of us are really good friends that, uh, at the council and at the staff. Uh, I guess most of us. There's a couple that we don't really like, but we hang out with them anyways. But when we're trying to decide what to do, we all, we all want to be united. Right? And you know what? There's been a couple times I'm like, no, this is so good. It's going to be awesome. And you know what they say? Everybody's like, no, that's terrible. Breaks my heart because I'm like, it's so good. But you know what? They'll sit and sit me down and say, no, that sucks. Let's go on and do something real. But the truth is we are always coming to a place of unity because that's what God wants. We can have different opinions about baptism and how to read the word and what we believe on different points. But the thing is, we need to be united in Jesus. And one of the best things I love about Journey is when we come together on Wednesday and Sunday, we are so different, but we have one Savior. Isn't that exciting? And that's what we see here. Jesus in this prayer section, he's, he's asking for three things. If you're doing an inductive Bible study, if we just look at this next verse, he's really asking for three things. He's saying protection. You know, if you guys remember a couple weeks ago, love always protects. One of the things that God does is he wants protection for his disciples. And here he's praying for protection. The first level of protection is this double-mindedness. And I'll give it into that for in a second. And then it's the enemy. The second level of protection is praying against Satan and against the one that's going to lead to destruction. And then this last one is to keep them, to guide them. He's praying, Lord, keep them. And we'll see that in verse 15. Let's talk a little bit about this double-minded protection. Next week, Jeremy's going to dig into this, so I don't want to destroy his sermon. But in verse 21, here's what it says. And they're assuming this all throughout this prayer. And here's what it says in verse 21 uh, in, in John 20, it was 17, 21. I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, I am in you. And they be, be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. 
you know, ever since I went to Nepal and I was at this YWAM base, and the guy that was the leader of the YWAM base, he was the leader, and his name happened to be Jeremy. And I'm like, oh, dude, I'll never forget that because one of my best friends is named Jeremy, and he's a pastor, a pretty cool guy. Uh, and he said this oneness thing had to be our mindset. And I, it just never left me. And I did, a, I did two sermons on it in the last few months. And here's the thing. It's, he's praying for this protection that we need to have this one thing be our everything. You know, in James chapter 1, as he's saying, hey, you need to pray for wisdom, he also talks about what it looks like when we're double-minded. Here's James chapter 1, verse 6. He says, now, when, you're, when you need wisdom, just ask. Verse 6 says, but when you ask, be sure that you are faith in God alone. Do not waver, for such a person's divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by wind. He's like... If you really believe in Jesus and you really say you're a Christian and you really want your prayers to be heard and you really want to be united with God, it's like you can't really live this, this wavery life. You can't let someone's teaching move, move you completely into a new, uh, a new sea. I'm like, I've been living in the Pacific Sea and now this message has brought me now I'm into the Indian Ocean. Well, how'd you get there? I have no idea. I, I got double-minded. I got shifted too early. He said, that's not how we live. Listen to what it says in verse 7. It says, such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. When our life is in, in one foot in the world and one foot into Jesus Christ, our prayer life is not going to be robust. And our prayer answers are going to be, eh, not today. Not today. Because really all you're doing is looking for a Disneyland help kind of situation. And God's like, I'm really interested in growing you into a better disciple. Here's verse 8. It says this. Such people should not receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they actually are unstable in everything they do. But when we have Jesus as our one thing, and he's the first thing we go to in the morning, the last thing we say goodnight to, his love protects here we see uh, uh, this prayer that, hey, I need to protect them by the power of your name. And I also need to make sure they're protected because the enemy has taken one of us out already. And as I'm leaving and as I'm heading to your throne room, they're going to need your help, Lord. Let's continue, verse 13. It says, now I'm coming to you. I've told many of, I have told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. I have given them I have your word. I've given them your word and the world hates them. Because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Jesus has overcome the world, and because of that, he's not of the world. We're not to be of this world. We are to be overcomers and live in victory and live for the glory of God. And we are to take the worst parts of our life and turn them into the joy because that's how God works. He took Jesus to the cross the most horrific moment in, in history, an innocent man dies before his, his community. And in the end, God uses that as the cornerstone to transform the community. He's protecting us from the world, and we should be in that same mindset to live in joy. In this prayer, Jesus is trying to give you something. Now, once again, if you do like what we call an inductive Bible study, an inductive Bible study is like, what are the words that are repeating in all of the text? And you write down words and you start circling words. It's like, oh, they're saying father a lot. 
They're saying Jesus a lot. And in this text, you're going to see they say the, in, in this tw uh, uh, 28 verses, they say the word give 17 times. More than any other chapter in all the New Testament. Because Jesus is trying to let us know that there's something here that we are, re we are to receive from this. There's a giving here. The Father is giving Jesus the authority over flesh and blood. And he has given Jesus work to do. And he's given him words to be. And he's giving him the opportunity to give it to us so that we can be a work of God as well. Jesus came down into the world to do the work of the Father. And to live out the plan and the, wor and the work of God. And he does it through the word of God. And if you don't know Jesus and you're struggling with your concept, the only thing you can do is open up the Bible and start to look for him. And look what he wants for you in your life. And if that's not you today, after service, we'll get a couple people to come up and pray for you to accept Jesus or to engage in him in a more fruitful way so that this Easter season will be more about him and less about you and your wants and needs. Jesus is at work giving us the word of God and connecting us to the Father's heart. I don't know about you, but every time my dad came home, I didn't really want to be connected to the Father because usually it meant I was in trouble. But today, I love my dad and I love uh, all that he does for me. And that relationship has been so rekindled. And it's ultimately because both of us are seeking the Father's heart. Right? And when we are united in the Father's heart, our relationship has transformed and molded. And we are no longer uh, enemies of sorts. We're actually best friends living for the kingdom of God and also being son and father, which is really fun as well. And we get that because uh, Jesus has, has, has blessed us. And both of us are learning to become a disciple. And that's the second question. We got about four minutes. We don't really need a prolific. But what, is it, what does a disciple look like? What does a disciple look like in your life? Give me a couple of, uh, the question is, how do you define a disciple of Jesus and what would one look like today? Go ahead and go. In John chapter 17, verse 9 to 19, Jesus is praying for the disciples. Now, some would say it's actually the apostles that are with him, and that is true. But it also has some futuristic prophetic words into what a disciple would look like today. Hopefully you have a living example of someone that's a disciple. The, the model that's been created here at Journey that we are following and really kind of digging into this year and challenging people to get into a discipleship class and grow is the first part of our discipleship model. It's three parts. This section over here is to believe. The first part of being a disciple is I've, I've got to believe. I don't, need, I don't need to know everything about the Word of God to believe. I just got to take a little bit of faith and say, this is what God is calling me to do. I can feel something inside of me. I don't understand it, but I'm going to believe and trust in Jesus. And here's what I found out. When I did that, over time, more was given to me. More understanding, more knowledge, more input. And all of a sudden, my fears and the things that I didn't believe started to answer. So when I first believe, more will be given. The second part is, if I truly believe in Jesus Christ, and, and there's a lot of us in this room... The second thing you need to do is you need to open up the Word of God and follow. This is probably one of my, my spiritual gifts. I read the Word of God. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back when I say this. 
I read the word of God and I'm asking myself, am I doing this? Or is this me? Is this where I'm at? Am I angry and discontent or am I joyful? Am I praying? I read the word of God and instantly I'm putting into Jeff's, Jeff instantly goes in there and I'm like, oh, I see myself in there. So I instantly have to follow Jesus to make my life. So first believe, second follow. And then as I'm following Jesus, the thing that really makes us a disciple is to say, I can't keep this by myself. I've got to give it away. And here's what I found out. When I go up to someone and say, hey, and challenge. I'm a, I don't know if you've ever sat down with me. I love to challenge people. That's what I do. I love to challenge people and challenge them to step up and take that next step in faith. And, and you know what? When I challenge someone, I'm always challenged also. Discipling people is hard. It's fun. Anything can happen. And, 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 and the end result is that God is glorified through that. So believe, follow, disciple, and you keep doing that. And next thing you know, you've, got, uh, you've touched hundreds of people and you get to the end of your life. And there's thousands of people celebrating your death because you have given that away. And in that, you've received so much you know, when I give to Southern, my, my greatest joy is when other people have the light of Jesus go on in their life. Verse 15 says this. Here's the third thing that he's asking for. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. Don't you want, wouldn't it be fun if like you pray and it's like, oh God, I'm in trouble right now. And he just plops you out and puts you right in the middle of the Pirates of the Caribbean at Disneyland. Oh, that's my favorite ride. I love this place. All my problems go away and I end up at Disneyland. And I don't have to pay the park fee and the parking and I get a free hotel room. That's what we really want when our problems hum. But here he says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. That's not how God works. God's not Santa Claus. He's God. And he likes to grow us in our faith. He says, but to keep them safe. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm thinking about Jesus and I'm thinking about disciples and I'm thinking about the future of God, really, keep me safe? That's the prayer that you're going to say, Jesus? Seems like since I'm a pastor and I know so much, I'm so wise, that I would pray something different, Jesus, because, you know. But here's what Jesus is asking. He's like, keep them spiritually safe from Satan. Keep them spiritually safe from this world. And now he's saying, keep them safe? Why? How? Why can't you pray, Jesus, use our disciples? Lord, why can't you pray, strengthen our disciples? Lord, why don't you pray, teach them to know the word of God and to open it up and live it out? Lord, why not even just say, guide them through the storms? But instead, he says, keep them, keep them safe. You know, uh, in a couple of days, I'm going to leave for a few days. And when I leave, I have the same type of prayer that Jesus just prays. I pray for my girls. And I said, Lord, keep them safe. Protect them. I'm going to be gone. Keep them safe from the enemy, from the neighbors, all the things that can happen. The water pipes bursting, the toilet blowing up, whatever can happen while they're gone. Keep them safe. Jesus is leaving. He's not asking to guide and teach. He's got the Holy Spirit to do all that. The final prayer that he's saying to his father, to the disciples, is like, keep them safe. Verse 16 says, they don't belong to this world any more than I do. And here then becomes the solution. He says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them the word which is true. 
Just as you sent me into the word, I'm, world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice to them so that they can be made holy by your truth, Father. He says, keep them safe, teach them, guide them. But it's all through your word because his word is our safety net. His word and his truth guide us in the times of, of struggle. His word and his truth will take us to that next place, that next phase that we're supposed to be in life. His plan was to keep them, to protect them, to make them holy through his truth. You know, I had to make a decision a long time ago. Either God's word is going to be everything, even though I don't agree with all of it or understand it all. It was going to be everything or it was going to be nothing. I had to make that decision a long time ago. And when I made the decision to choose it was going to be everything, the truth is, there was about seven, I, I, I believed about 70% and 30% was kooky. Today, a lot of it makes sense to me. Still some tough parts in there. A donkey talk? A snake talk? Death equals victory? Some weird concepts. But it's beautiful. And it's powerful. And I have a God that I believe that can do anything. So a donkey, yeah, he could talk. A snake could be evil. And death is beautiful. I want to close with the radiance of God. His plan was to give himself to sin. His plan was to give himself to sin so that you and I and the disciples could win, be victorious, succeed in Christ to bring glory. Hebrews kind of talks about this. And here's the last thing as we walk out of here. Are you awakened for Christ today? Are you ready to take on the world tomorrow and through Easter and through this summer? God wants to wake us up. He's challenging us as disciples to wake us up. And in this prayer, it should be like a punch or a saving grace or a radiant glory to God that my prayer unite me with Jesus Christ. Here's what he writes to the Hebrews. Uh, the writer of the Hebrews writes, Long ago God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days he has spoken to us through his son. God has promised everything to, us, to the Son as an inheritance. And through the Son, He creates the universe. And here's my favorite part. The Son radiates. Man, Jesus radiates. You ever seen someone so alive in Jesus Christ that it radiates? The warmth of God comes out of everything that they do. Jesus radiates. It says the Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. He has cleansed us from, her, from His sin. And now the text says now He's going to go to the right hand of God. Waiting for you to grow and, and meet Him one day. Live in the radiance of God and wake up and enjoy who he is, even as you go through pain. Let's close in prayer. Father, we come before you. We submit to you, Lord. And Lord, as we are going through a dark moment where you radiate something deep within me, will you grab me up for that third time and rescue me from myself? Will you bring a solution through your salvation? Will you open us up to something new? Will you, hope, will you bring hope in our prayer life, Lord? And will you radiate so that everything we talk to you about, Lord, becomes the will of God and your work? So, Father, we come before you as people learning to be more about, more like you. Teach us how to become better disciples so that your kingdom 
will be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.